It's the Olympic episode. Oh man, I didn't check what episode number we're on. 65? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Hey, I got it right. And we are back once again with the ATP podcast. I'm forgetting to turn down my music. There it is. Yeah. Beautiful. And um, it's your boy Jay. We got Figaroa in the building. And we have special guest Joey. How you doing, Joey? Great. Oh, look at that. Sounds great. Um, This is the Olympic episode. um, Episode 65. And this is a content-packed episode. Um, a lot to, what's the word? Uh, Discuss. Oh, there's a special word. It's like unravel, unbucket. Sure. Uh, pour out. I can't remember the word. But we have a lot to discuss and talk about. Um, Fig is adamant and he kicked me in the leg earlier to remind me not to speak or try to jump the gun. Um, in a certain topic. In a certain topic. So yes. I'm, uh, I'm going to let you take the helm here, man. Where are we going? First off, before I start, I thought I'd... Uh, get a little funny here um in the previous episode you didn't even let me finish the rublev nishikori popcorn match as we know nishikori beat rublev in a very high contested battle mm. would you like to apologize to nishikori in the air or what, what's up look naomi osaka needs to apologize to nishikori am i jumping the gun again no no okay good because he's still in the olympics Okay, representing his true country. Project 50, we're here. Okay, fair enough. Okay, we're going to start off with the podcast now. Alcaraz wins his first title. Now he is considered by the press the next Rafael Nadal. I was going to say, you were the first person I've ever heard mention this guy. um, And you informed me that he was Spain's future protege. Correct. Uh, And he's living up to what you told me about. Right, so far. He won a clay court tournament Mm -hmm. since 1990. He is the fourth youngest player to win a title Mm -hmm. at 18 years, two months. Can you believe? This is insane. Can you believe that Leighton Hewitt, who I really don't like because he's sort of a pusher, uh, won his first title at 16 years? That's crazy. That is insane. I want to say this, though. Leighton Hewitt's era is like my least favorite era in men's tennis. Yeah, I can see that. It's the the Safin. Yeah. There's like three guys and none of them. Davidenko. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that era. They are the, I'll give them this. They are the pioneers of the baseline era. Yeah, I can see that. You know, um, they started that, but yeah, no thanks. But anyway, he won his first title and now he's on the move. Basically, mm. what are your thoughts on Alcaraz winning his first title? I like Alcaraz. Um, I hope that he does not let expectations precede him. And uh, he just focuses on himself and keeps grinding. He looks good out there. And, I mean, I can't think of a player who's won titles that young who didn't have some type of respectable career throughout their life as long as they stay healthy. So, I have high hopes for him. Fair enough. Joey, what are your thoughts? Have you heard of Alcaraz before? Yeah, I heard um, when they first started comparing him to Nadal. Um, so when I hear stuff like that, I go immediately to the numbers. And my first thought is Nadal won his first Grand Slam 
uh, at 19. How old is Alcaraz? 18 and two months. Okay, so that's kind of what I'm... Like, if they're going to compare him to Nadal, I want to look at the numbers. So um, Nadal got his Grand Slam at the French at 19, right? And... Um, so uh, let's see where it goes. Alcaraz is I can not see that. getting a slam at fifteen. In case you guys were curious, right? I don't. I don't see that. But it's a step, yeah, in the right direction. Um, I'm pretty sure he's gonna be. He's, it's gonna take a couple of years for him to get that slam. But he, to me, he's sort of similar to Sebastian Corda, mm-hmm. to where it's a process, and it's gonna take a while to develop that process. Mm-hmm. So those are my thoughts on Alcaraz. But he has a bright future. And mm-hmm. that title was on clay, right? Correct. Um, he did get to the third round of the French this last year, right? Yeah, something along those lines. Okay, so nice. Looking good, looking good. Moving on, Nick Kyrgios attacks the ATP Tour organizers. Now, he is still upset at the fact that they are playing clay court events at this time. He says it's a waste of time. And let me read exactly what he says. Clay court events are absolutely bringing zero fans, zero crowd, zero hype. My God, excluding Gasquet because he's playing for just points. This is just sad, man. No wonder we are going backwards. What are your thoughts on Nick Kyrgios attacking the ATP because there's still clay court events playing? He's just a hater, man. <laughs> Uh, I understand his perspective because he, he doesn't do well on clay. He doesn't like clay. He doesn't like to watch clay court matches. That's how much he hates clay. So um, I think this is pure bias. You know, he thinks the whole world hates watching clay because he does. That's not the case, man. So um, I agree with him. My favorite, favorite tournaments are the faster ones or the ones that reward players for taking more risks. But... All that aside, Kyrgios, man, you know, stop drinking the haterade and uh, let the clay court tournaments be the clay court tournaments. If anything, you should be complaining because they don't have enough grass court tournaments. That's a valid complaint. Okay, fair enough. Joey, what are your thoughts? Do you think he's hating? Um, I like that he's hating because I feel like there are a ton of clay court tournaments, so I'm a, I'm with him on that. Do you think that he's doing it because he just doesn't like Clay at all and he despises Clay? Do you think that's one of the reasons why he's doing this uh, comments? Jay? I told you, he's hating. He's hating, so definitely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it probably has a little bit to do with that, but at the same time, I think it's a valid complaint. Okay, fair enough. Moving on. Wimbledon makes a big mistake. Now, prior to the Olympics, the press reminded Medvedev that he is the number two player in the world and he never played a center court match at Wimbledon. He was reminded that Federer played every single match on center court, but Medvedev did not play one single match on center court being the number two player in the world. Medvedev said, well, Federer is a great grass court player. And I'm just trying to come up and be a great grass court player. What are your thoughts on his response? And what are your thoughts on Wimbledon not putting Medvedev on center court? 
Okay, so um, I'm going to give you both sides of this coin here. Side number one. Um, Medvedev gave you the I'm not going to tell you how I really feel response. And that's smart. You know, that's how he should speak to media. You don't need to spill out your guts every time you talk to media. Obviously, I'm sure he enjoys being on center court. We saw how well he fed off of negative and positive energy at the U.S. Open. Um, This is a guy who probably enjoys being on center court. Now, complaining to press about whether or not you were on center court at Wimbledon is going to accomplish nothing. He knows that, and I think that he has thick skin as well. So I do think he was unhappy about that. I don't think that we're going to hear about it during a press conference. Now, on the flip side, I do think if I'm holding a tournament, I'm going to put the matches that fill up seats in my center court. That's the bottom line. Federer has not been playing. He had a major buildup and run going into Wimbledon. Him saying, look, I'm walking away from the French because I plan to play grass at Wimbledon. This is my slam. And Wimbledon is going, imagine the storyline of Federer's comeback and winning Wimbledon. We need him on center court for his entire run. This is just logic. I'm putting him on center court every single match. Um, Medvedev, there's no storyline. There's no invested interest, interest from media. And media is just trying to create narratives. They didn't say a word about him on any articles or headlines. The entire Wimbledon. Until after it's all said and done so that they can create drama. So, yeah. I, I like how mature he was about it. And I also agree with what Wimbledon did. It is what it is. Okay. Interesting. Joey, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I 100% agree with that. It's just about the money. Um, when you ask like someone who knows nothing about tennis, uh, just a fan, they know about Wimbledon and they know about Federer. So uh, it's all about the money. So yeah. That's... Okay. Uh, think of it this way, Fig. So um, we've been to several at least Master 1000 tournament events. Right. Uh, Indian Wells alone, you've probably been seven or eight times. Um, Think of it this way. We've been in the stadium when someone that only a tennis true purist has heard of is there, and we see how empty the stadium is. We've also been in that same stadium when Nadal is playing a Joe Schmo nobody, and it's full. Um, And this just goes to show you that the average person buying box seats to Stadium 1 is someone who's expecting to see a famous player they've heard of. Um, these tournaments make their money off of selling those front court box seats. So, yeah, I mean, this is a no-brainer. If you're a tournament coordinator, Federer has to be there, Nadal has to be there. Anyone who's a hot ticket name who sells tickets is going to be sitting in my front center court. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the only thing, uh, let me play uh, devil's advocate a little bit. Okay. Pete Sampras, after he won Wimbledon, a couple of years later, he was struggling on grass. They put him on court three. Ooh. And then he lost mm-hmm. in the second or third round mm-hmm. after being a seven-time champion. Mm-hmm. So they didn't show him the respect. Yeah. But they're showing Federer the respect. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, five slams, you know. <laughs> five slams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but I think that um, 
I think maybe the times are changing a bit and tournaments are definitely more biased than they were previously. And tournaments are definitely being more bold than they were previously. We're seeing, we're personifying tournaments more than we ever have. We're seeing tournaments as good guys and bad guys and nice guys and mean guys and stuff like that. Back in the day, we kind of saw tournaments as venues. Yeah, I can see that. And um, yeah, they're becoming less and less neutral. A lot more opinionated things. Oh, we're seating Federer number two, although he's ranked number five because we think he should be there. The Wimbledon Gorilla ranking, yes. Exactly. Things like that are what make us personify these tournaments. And um, I'm not fully with it or against it. I think that when it comes to ticket sales and statistics, there's a reason I would put one guy on center court over another guy or girl. You know, so it just varies. I can see that. Joey, what are your thoughts? Uh, Do you guys think... Um, Medvedev would get a center court if maybe he kind of stayed the villain that he was like at the U.S. Open. Kind of like that curious. I agree there. Yeah. If he had some sort of drama coming in, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, also, I do think that uh, at U.S. Open, you can expect to see Medvedev in center court more. Yes. So. Yes. Because uh, there isn't really a, a legit champion there, a seven-time exactly. champion, a 13-time He's champion. He's a threat. He's, He's a threat, threat at the U.S. Open, and so, that's, that's important. Yeah, I agree with you there. Federer, that's his home turf, you know? Mm-hmm. So, obviously, they're going to put him there. Moving on, Olympics are criticized by players. Now, the Olympic Games, the players have been almost basically passing out. They mm-hmm. are complaining. Djokovic, who's the leading contender for the gold medal, and Medvedev as well. They're saying that it is very hot. U.S. Open hot, and they're playing during the day. They're complaining that the Olympic Games should be played during the night. Also, Medvedev brought up that during the changeovers, there's only a minute and a half between mm-hmm. changeover to starting the game again. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the players complaining to the Olympic Committee? Um, I think the players probably weren't prepared to take into account you're not under ATP or WTA protection. Exactly. You're playing in a brand new conglomerate. You know, this is not what you're used to, and you shouldn't have come in expecting that. If I played in the NBA for 10 years, and then I decide I'm going to go play in the China League, I should go in with the mentality, I'm not playing in the NBA. This is going to be different. Um, I think maybe they aren't used to that because they do play a 10-month season for the ATP. You know, and once out of every four years, they step outside of the WTA or ATP for this event. And I think it's a shocker. Yes. Um, I don't think that the Olympics are wrong for what they're doing. I just think that they're different. That's it. Joey, what are your thoughts? I think Jay said it best. I mean, it's a new venue. Um, it's not the ATP. It's, it's brand new, so deal with it. Yeah, that's, that, that was tough. But at the same time, you also have to protect your uh, assets, basically. And you have to deal with them in a certain way and Mm. give them a little more time Mm. before people start passing out. True, true. So it is what it is. I guess what I should say is the Olympics are showing their inexperience in being spreaded so thin amongst so many sports. Right. Um, You know, ATP only does tennis. And so they have it down to the seconds, how long you should wait to serve, how long you should sit between sets. The Olympics are doing badminton, ultimate frisbee, handball, 
performative swimming, you know, they don't know how long your changeover should be for tennis. Right. Um, so that's probably part of it as well. Right. Now, that's a good point. Now, here's an extremely interesting point. Murray pulled out of singles because of an injury. Uh-huh. But he's, he was still at doubles. Hmm. You'd figure Ali Asim was playing him. You'd figure that Ali Asim would get the walkover, correct? Yeah. No. He played a player ranked 190 in the world. His name is Max Purcell. Mm-hmm. And he was upset it in the first round. Mm-hmm. Ali Asim. Yep. So here's the question to you. Are you surprised that after Murray lost or, or withdrew that Ali Asim didn't get the pass to the second round? What are your thoughts on that? Um, considering how late Murray did withdraw, I'm a little surprised by the walkover. Um, but with the Olympics, I guess I should be a little more open-minded to the fact that this is, this is national representation. So they're going to go out of their way to find an opportunity to find substitutes because there are third string and second string options from these countries. People waiting for a player to step down and step out. Now, are you shocked that Ali Asim just didn't go to the second round. Are you shocked that he actually had to play a replacement? Personally, yes. Um, When I step back and really think about it, since it was the first round, this is the one round where there should be a way to swap out Murray pretty quickly because I'm assuming that uh, the guy who replaced him was a countryman of his. I'm not. I'm not sure. Okay, we'll have to look that up. Yes. We'll have to look that up. But if they're fellow countrymen, this makes perfect sense that they went... Okay, well, who's our backup guy for Murray? And um, let him in there. He was. He was a... Okay, he was a Englishman? Yeah. Okay. yeah, so what that tells me is that, you know, these Olympic teams have people who go to the Olympics as backups. Right. Which we're going to talk about more later. Yes. Um, I think that since Murray backed out early, they were able to go, hey, you sitting there on the bench. Get in there. Murray's not playing. And uh, he was able to enter the tournament. Okay, that's interesting. Joey, are you shocked that after Murray withdrew... Somebody had to play Ali Asim. I think that's the like perfect choice. Yeah. And was um correct me if I'm wrong, but were the Olympics intended for like amateurs? Like basically, yes. Yeah, and they started adding like the pros, to, right? Because you know it was making a lot of money, you know? right? Yeah. Huh. No, but great decision and crazy that he got upset. Yes, that was that is crazy. Now, do you believe that he got upset because he wasn't ready for a challenger? Um, He needs to be ready for anyone to be in front of him, you know? Um, You know, tennis is an individual sport, and I really take pride in the fact that these guys need to adjust on the fly and adapt in the moment. So, I don't feel bad for him. Um, I think that this was a good opportunity and learning experience for him. Um, we're very familiar with boxers where, you know, one guy drops out of a fight two months before the event and they bring in a guy who has two months to prep for a fight. That's true. You know, and those guys come out and perform and sometimes they win those fights. So this is no different to me. Uh, Ali Asim should have already been training in preparation of playing an Olympic tournament and he didn't know who he was going to play in the second round, third round, fourth round. So this is no different. Okay. And Joey, do you have anything to add to that? No. Okay, moving on. <clears throat> the big upsets in the women's uh, draw. Big upsets everywhere. Big upsets. We're going to start with the number one player in the world. Uh... Ash Barty loses to the number 48 player from Spain. 
Uh, her name is. Oh, oh, you're gonna have to look it up. I don't remember right now. Uh-huh. But she lost in the first round. Now I saw the match. Ash Vardy was flat. She had nothing but mistakes. This girl did not have any power to her. There is no reason why Ash Barty could not overpower this girl. Mm-hmm. Then Iga Sviacic, French Open champion, has made a fourth round, at least in majors, mm. gets upset as well. And then, obviously, the big, big news. Oh, man. Naomi Osaka, the hometown favorite. She loses to Vavrasova, who was a French Open finalist when Ash Barty won the French. That was the last time Vavrasova did anything, by the way. Mm. She's been struggling. Yeah. And she beats Osaka. What are your thoughts on Osaka being upset in the third round? I am extremely disappointed. Um... I'm not going to lie. I'm looking forward to hearing your response to this because, I mean, we are really talking about this might be outside of Annie Murray playing in the Olympics. uh, What was it when they played in uh, Britain? Yes. Yeah. Outside of that, there hasn't been a more peaked player in a peak Olympic location since maybe that. And I would probably put this higher up than that. Um, Major expectations. She skipped tournaments in her rollout to playing this Olympic campaign. She, I would assume, was training very hard for this. And there's no doubt in my mind she had every intention on trying to win this. Um, Do we know if maybe there's some underlying injury she had? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But I can tell you she looked late on a lot of shots. um, And she was making a lot of uncharacteristic forehand errors. Um... I'm curious what both of you guys think of this. Um, what are your thoughts? Joey, what are your thoughts on Osaka? Are you surprised she lost in the third round? It was in straights too, right? Breadstick. Yep. Wow. <laughs> um, That's 6-1 for the listeners. Yeah, I think... Um, I don't know. She's been out of competition since when? French? The yes. French? Yeah, so I mean there's no better practice than match play. So maybe that just caught up to her that might be it she looked extremely flat her she was spraying her forehands Mm -hmm. her serve was pretty on for the most part Mm -hmm. but her second serve every time she hit a second serve it was getting pounced on Mm -hmm. and the most important thing of all which is why she cannot win a clay and grass court event. The drop shot. Vadrasova mm. hit multiple, yes. multiple drop shots. I'm glad you're shots. saying this because I forgot. She but cannot yes. move forward. Mm. She is not a good forward player. Mm. If you bring Osaka forward, she's going to lose. Yeah. She cannot attack the ball and she's weak at the net. So if mm. she gets the ball over, you still have a shot. Just make her hit a volley. Yep. And her forward her, her forward motion is garbage. She needs to fix that if she wants to win the French and grass. Yeah. Number one right there. Do you have anything to add? No, you nailed it. And I, that's why I wanted you to speak on this because I know you saw that and I was excited to hear you say it. I just was watching Chip. 
Osaka comes forward with her westerny semi snap over grip, tries to hit something special, or she tries to do too much of something special, overcompensate, and we really just saw what I would call checkmate. Um, you know, they they came in with a game plan against Osaka and nailed it. So um, another another example of a learning experience that I hope she takes with her um, and is prepared to do something about it as she goes into next year's season. Because uh, from here on out, it's pretty much hard courts for her. Right. So Now, I'm going to bring up some interesting stats. Did you see her light the Calderon, by the way? No. Oh, it was a show, dude. Really? So, yes. So basically, she was at the Calderon. Every, everybody was running around with the torch. Mm-hmm. And with COVID, they, they, uh, uh, one person didn't carry the whole torch in the, in the uh, track. Mm-hmm. So they were switching it, basically. Mm-hmm. When they got to the Calderon, it was a show, dude. Basically, it was as if a UFO just opened. <laughs> so the stairs, boom, there are the stairs, right? Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, she got to the Calderon to light it on fire. And then, boom, it just opens up like a Venus flytrap. Oh, my gosh. It's sparkly everything. It was a beautiful show. And then she lights it and claims that that is the biggest achievement in her career. Oh, my gosh. So that was interesting. Another interesting fact is Kathy Freeman in 2000 was an Australian 400 meter race. Mm. And she lit the Calderon and won the gold. So she was the last person to do so. Did I want Osaka to win the gold? I don't hate her as much as Djokovic. I would have I would have liked for her It's a to beautiful say, story. Right. I would have yeah. liked for her to, you know, light the Calderon, win gold. You yeah. Know, that would have been cool. Yeah. But no. No. Wow, man. I was hoping she won the Olympics. I really was. Yeah. I or at least Osaka second fan. or third or third place. At yeah. least. I'm not a fan of the political aspect of Osaka or the marketing aspect, but I am a fan of Osaka as a tennis player. I do like her on a hard court. Uh, I love her forehand. I love that she's Serena Jr. But I think that her team and um, I think her team and her herself don't realize that to become the next Serena, it takes more than just uh, power from the baseline. So, right. You know, I hope that they recognize that early. Joey, did you want Osaka to win the Olympics or did you want her to get eliminated early? Eliminated early. To be what honest. the hell? <laughs> Big hater. <laughs> I can't believe this. Okay, fair enough. Moving on. Biles Osaka comparison. Now, this is going to be huge. Uh, if you guys haven't heard, Simone Biles withdrew from the team competition. Time out. Uh, for maybe we have one listener who doesn't know exactly who Simone Biles is. Okay. Can you please educate them briefly? She is a gymnast. She is the one of the most decorated gymnasts In of history? all time, basically. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, yeah, basically. So she withdrew from the team event today. Mm. And if you can play the clip, please. No, um, no injury, thankfully. And that's why I took a 
step back because I didn't want to do something silly out there and get injured. So I thought it was best if these girls took over and did the rest of the so job. So you set out. absolutely did their Olympic silver so you didn't get now, injured. And they should be really proud of themselves for the how well they did last minute having to go in. Um, and it's been really stressful, this Olympic Games. I think just as a whole, um, not having an audience, there are a lot of different variables going into it. It's been a long week. It's been a long Olympic process. It's been a long year. Um, so just a lot of different variables, and I think we're just a little bit too stressed out. Um, we should be out here having fun, and sometimes that's not the case. Okay, that was interesting. And now Osaka, unfortunately, Osaka did not speak to the press. She spoke to a limited portion of press. Okay. So it was a selective press. Mm. And she said... I definitely felt the pressure of playing in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. I think it's maybe because I haven't played in the Olympics before and this is my first year. I think I'm glad with how I played with taking that break that I had. I've taken long breaks before and I've managed to do well. I'm not saying that I did bad right now, but I do know that my expectations were high for me. Mm -hmm. And then she went on to say, I feel bad because I lost. I put down my country, this and mm. this and this. And the story goes on. Right. So, what are your thoughts? First of all, let me ask the questions. Pump okay. your brakes. Oh, I'm going right. to moderate. <laughs> I have so much to say. <laughs> I'm going to moderate this. Okay. okay. Number, number one. Simone Biles is 24. Yeah. Osaka is 23. Mm-hmm. First off. Do you think that they can be comparable? With their age? Not with their age. With, with their accomplishments. Do you think that if we compare Biles and Osaka, is that a fair comparison? Um, as, athlete, as the stature of athlete they are, quote unquote. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So we can continue on with this conversation then? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Number one. Do you think that it's a society thing that they're admitting mental health because back in the 80s 70s if you admitted mental health that's not a good thing mm -hmm. you know you're put on the spot and saying oh how dare you do that mm -hmm. right or is it the fact that they have so much pressure on them that they can't focus forward so what i mean by that is a lot of people also, there's, a, I don't want to say ADH, but people nowadays, they have so much things going forward yeah. that they can't focus on one thing. Yeah. You understand what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So do you think that it's a generational thing, why they both act the same? Um, I think that technically speaking, it is generational. Um, I think that they're a part of an age and era that are vulnerable to a lot of things that maybe other generations weren't just due to things like social exposure. You know, here, here's the trick here. Um, this is what separates these two athletes specifically from maybe you and me. Um, they're raised in this sport they're in. And that's where they lived since children. Uh, that's what turns them into these athletes they are today. Um, when you mix that with what society now has is us being a little bit more sheltered and a little bit more 
So you're a mix of two things. You're you're sheltered, but you're also fully exposed when it comes to social media, the internet, interaction with people who don't know you, judgment, you passing judgment, you receiving judgment, all from the comfort of your home. Uh, I think this this combination of things really has created a perfect storm with some of these athletes. You know, these are people who are exceptional from a technical aspect, but extremely vulnerable from just a human being aspect. Um, and they're showing it right now. Big yes, time. fair enough. Joey, do you think that it's a generational reason why they're acting the way they are? Yeah, um, because, I mean, I've been, like, super stressed to the point where it created, like, anxiety to where it affected my physical, like, movements. Um, And Simone Biles, I think she said she was, it was affecting her. Yes. Right? And that's why she stepped out, because she didn't want to get injured. Okay, and you know what? Actually, I... I kind of give her a little credit because, like, she maybe it sounds like she's gone through it before because she's able to recognize it and then stop. You know, like, it's it sounds like she's gone through it before where she recognized it and, like, she knew better, which I mean, I could appreciate. Okay. So the second question comes <clears throat> money is affecting Osaka as soon as she won her slam, first one, she got paid. Mm-hmm. Nike paid her bank mm-hmm. and that could be a cause of why she there is so much pressure on her mm-hmm. do you think that athletes should stop getting paid so much and let them prove themselves a little more before they get paid um no you know sports has become a capitalist market and you have two choices these uh these athletes remain in a capitalist market and make millions and millions of dollars as soon as their stock is recognized as being a high high value stock. You know, it's a it's an arms race to get these athletes under your name and umbrella. So Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, Uniqlo, all these companies, they're trying to find these talents when they're cheap. You know, they're going, okay, Naomi Osaka, she might be the next Reno that's buying her. Oh, her over there, she might be this. You know, and because of that, they have to buy into athletes before they've truly proven who they're going to be. And as long as these companies want to get in early before another competing company does, this is not going to change. So um, should there be maybe some type of ATP contractual thing saying maybe um, you cannot do any form of endorsements until your fifth year on the professional tour? That might be something. Um, you know, five years on the tour without endorsement pressure or social media or can't, you know, these promo ad campaigns behind you before the age of 23. I think that we'd see a lot more stability from our players, but it's not going to come from the companies. Right. I agree with that for sure. Joey, what are your thoughts? Do you think that uh, athletes should not get paid until they're proven more? No, um, I think the companies that offer that, you know, it's on them to take that risk and it's also on the player to take that risk as well. Okay. Now, here's my take. I think that there are more factors to it. I do believe that today's society 
is more accepting of anxiety mm-hmm. to whereas in the past you couldn't admit it yeah and you were looked down as weak mm-hmm. if you were to do so for sure uh now i do believe as you stated i think that the pressure of paying an athlete too soon mm-hmm. can get to them absolutely and i think that that's what's happening with osaka for sure mm-hmm. now i do believe as you stated as well, it is a capitalistic market yeah. and Nike needs to grab her before she's taken. Yeah. So, but at the same time comes the risks of can she perform? Mm-hmm. So now the follow up and last question, do you think there's more to it between Simone Biles and Osaka? Do you think that there's more as to why there's so much mental health issues with those two? Um, I don't know Simone Biles' story well enough as far as her her road to where she's gotten today. But I can tell you right now. Um, this this mental phobia health thing, it you can't quit in the final round of the Olympics, you know. I understand the pressures, I understand where she's coming from, and I don't disagree with what she did, but you You've got to be prepared for these moments, you know. Um, I even her team was upset. Like, what are you talking about? All of us, everyone has become pillars to hold up you on this team, and now you're saying pillars become the ceiling and foundation instead. It's like, no, we weren't built that way. That's not what we were built for. We are not built to be the the icing on the cake, you know. For example, these NBA teams they form plays around specific players shooting the important shots. If at the last second Kevin Durant goes, I am nervous. We need to have Kyrie take that shot. Kyrie's going to go, we've practiced with you in the gym the last six months taking that shot. Not me. You need to take that shot today. Um, Kevin Durant has to take the shot. If he makes it or misses it, we as a team invested in him and we live with the consequences of that. It's the same way in the Olympics. I would rather see Simone Biles go out there and lose than her step down and watch her team fail or whatever happens, you know. I want to see her go all the way. Um, This reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this year was the first year of skateboarding in the Olympics. Yeah, Tony Um, Hawk was there. Yeah, Tony Hawk was there. And uh, I follow skateboarding pretty closely. Uh, The number one skater on earth. Rank number one is a guy named Nyjah Houston. He's an American skateboarder. The number two guy is a guy named Yuto, and he's Japanese. Now, Nyjah spanks Yuto nine times out of ten. Nyjah was extremely nervous and felt a lot of pressure at the Olympics. He could have said, hey, guys, I don't want to hurt myself out there. When I'm not feeling so hot, I don't skate well. He skated anyway. Nyjah Houston flopped. He didn't. He didn't rank for a medal at the uh, Olympics. He didn't get first, second, or third. He actually got outperformed by one of his countrymen, who he mops the floor with on a regular basis. Um, I'm saying all this to say, you know, he apologized to his country after he let them know he tried his absolute hardest, and this loss will affect him greatly over time. But he did his best, and everyone embraced him for it, you know, and they're really grateful that he went out there and tried. And he's going to come back home and dominate like he always does. I would love to see that happen for Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles. We're not going to condemn you for one loss. We we want to see you try. You know? The team did win silver. Well, they had to. Without her. Yeah. 
Joey, what are your thoughts? Uh, I would need more thought to respond, so I'm just going to say no comment. Okay, fair enough. Now, here was an interesting thought. I looked something up, and the Olympics allow dual citizenship mm-hmm. to play in the Olympics, and right. you can represent each country. Naomi Osaka, Japan, put pressure on her to become a Japanese uh, citizen, full citizen, full citizen, in order to represent them. Wow. Now, I don't know the exact. I think it was before her 22nd birthday. It was either 21st or 22nd. I completely forgot about that. Apologies for that. Mm. She had to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other country said, you can represent either one. Yeah. I don't know if you want to comment on that, but I thought that was an extremely interesting fact. These are those nasty things I'm talking about. She's an American. You know, um, I think they know that as well. And that's what's so hilarious about that. They're going, we know you're American. So prove to us you're Japanese. <laughs> like, what the heck kind of games are these? You know, you, you're not going to change who she is culturally. She doesn't even take her press conference interview answers in Japanese. You know, she's an American. It's okay. You know, let her be a dull citizen because she does have a Japanese mother. Let her represent you, you know. But at the end of the day, she's going to fly back to California or wherever she lives. And she's going to eat a cheeseburger. And she's going to watch Netflix in English. You know, exactly. And that's the facts with her rapper boyfriend. And then she's going to get and drive on the right side of the road down Sunset Boulevard. These are just the facts. Oh, and by the way, in Beverly Hills, she owns the mansion that she lives in right now was previously owned by Nick Jonas, by the way. What country is he from? American. Last time I checked. I don't know. (laughs) Regardless, I'm cracking jokes. But yes, you know, my point is just, you know, she's so American. Why are you forcing her to drop her dull citizenship? Why? You know, it's not going to change the fact that she is who she is. Um, So it's a funny game we play. You know, these countries, these capitalist companies, these investments, these marketing campaigns. None of them are going to change who Naomi Osaka is. Right. Now, I am going to speak a little bit about Simone Biles. Um, I don't know if you knew there was a doctor that was accused of raping the gymnastic u.s team Mm. and he was uh sentenced for life wow and uh she didn't speak about it until recently Mm. so i don't know if that was one of the reasons why she's in the funk she's in Mm -hmm. i will say this gymnastics is an extremely dangerous sport very just like um uh skateboarding skateboarding Mm -hmm. if you mess up once and you fall you're breaking something you're done Mm. So the fact that she, quote unquote, had to take a mental break because she didn't feel right, Mm -hmm. I guess that's defendable. Yeah. So I'm going to give her a little bit of credit there for sure. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit different, but at the same time, it's about the same. Yeah. That's why I use the Nigel Houston comparison, because that's a very simple, that's a sport where you can break pretty much anything. Uh, you know, these guys are jumping down 20-foot stairs, sliding backwards while spinning on rails, you know? Right. This is very similar to Simone Biles being 12 feet high doing triple backflips and stuff like that. Very dangerous. And I have deep respect for her decision, you know? But the fact of the matter is, you know, you train five years for this Olympics. Exactly. Five, you know? So I'd like to see you finish what you started. 
Joey, do you have anything to add before we move on? Nope. Okay. Last topic. <clears throat> Kiki Burton's retires. Now, if you don't know who she is, she's from the Netherlands. She was in the top 10. She has won 10 WTA titles. It's a good number. Yes, she won Cincinnati Open. Now, I remember this vividly because Halep was going for Montreal Cincinnati double-double. Mm-hmm. And Burton's denied her that. Mm-hmm. Man, I was hoping Halep would win that for sure because Man. it's hard to do. They always talk yeah. about the uh, Indian Wells, Miami. Yeah. And they talk about Cincinnati, Montreal. Right. So she prevented her from doing that. Her biggest win besides that one was in Madrid where she beat Kvitova, Stevens, in the same, and Halep again uh-huh. in the same tournament to win her title. That's ridiculous. Her best uh, tournament slam was the French Open where she lost to Serena in the semifinals in 2016. Mm-hmm. She also has 10 doubles titles as well. Mm-hmm. reaching a high rank of number 16 in the world in doubles. It's impressive. She, she currently was in the top 15, but due to an Achilles problem, mm-hmm. she is calling it a career after her loss at the Olympics. So that is the career of Kiki Burton's. Are you familiar with her? Yeah, I actually do like Kiki Burton's. Um, you have anything to add then? Uh, nothing major. I do have a question for you though. Um, at what point do we have Hall of Fame conversation? Um, did she accomplish enough to ever be considered for something like that? And what would she have needed to do if not? Okay, there is something that I forgot. She reached the high of number four in the world mm-hmm. and is the highest Dutch woman to ever rank that high. Okay. So I forgot that part. That's an important stat. Right. Now, that's going to be important for maybe Hall of Fame conversation. Uh-huh. I, I still think that if you don't win a slam... You shouldn't be in the... Hall yeah, yeah, basically, it's going to be really, really hard. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to win thousands, one th- thousands, one thousands after titles yeah. over and over. Like to make, a, right. So, for example, if Andy Murray had no grand slams, he'd still be qualified to be a Hall of Fame athlete. Because of the Masters 1000s, that's an important one. He'd have probably about 70 titles. Or no, is it 40 titles? I can't remember the number. He has a really large amount of tournament wins. Uh, I think he's mid-40s or early 70s. I always mix my numbers up. Maybe Federer's in the 70s and Murray's in the 40s. But regardless, he has like 40 titles guaranteed and only... And then I think it's 43... If you count his slams. Right. Um, that would be Hall of Fame undeniably. Right. So basically, if you win one Grand Slam, that's Hall of Fame for sure. Yeah. If you don't, there has to be more in order to determine. Okay. Consistency is the issue. Right. Okay. Now, her being in the top 10 for a while, that's going to help her if, yeah. if there is going to be a conversation. Mm-hmm. And her Masters 1000 titles will help her as well. Mm. Uh, Joey, are you familiar with Kiki Burton's? I haven't watched her game a lot, but I've always seen her name, you know. Um, yeah, she's consistently in draws, right? Right, yes. yeah. Yeah. And um, she's only 29, so I'm like, in tennis, you see a lot of players, you know, retire and come back. So I'm thinking she might do that because, you know, tennis is addicting. And, yeah. Yeah, I would gamble on her return based on how she feels when she's truly, her body is healed. You know, it's very much like the Murray thing. 
I think Murray's body was hurting so badly. He said, I can't do this anymore. And then he realized when he sat his ass down, excuse my language, for about six months, he went, I think I could keep doing this. You know, when he finally truly rested, um, maybe that's what she needs. And Achilles' problem is pretty... That's severe. Severe. It's very... So uh, I don't know what it's going to take it for her in order to strengthen that. Yeah. But we're probably seeing the last of her. Mm. But she did have a remarkable career, especially right. with that Dutch uh, mm. being the highest ranked Dutch woman ever so that's a pretty good stat right so anyway that concludes this episode and i hope you guys were extremely entertained atp uh music please (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah by the way um we do have a bonus episode coming this week uh with joey as a special guest uh what's it about joey Uh, you have you have some smoke for us surprise you gotta tune in okay fair enough (laughs) the marketing